Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you from Montecito, California. And actually, I am doing this a couple days before New Year's. It's now, uh, by the time you hear this, it'll be the New Year's 2023. So happy New Year to you. Uh, you know, the New Year for me makes me think a lot about how uh, things keep changing so rapidly. Like, for example, like my age, right? Like, how, how did I end up where I am? For those of us who went to high school in the era of payphones, it is a truly remarkable trajectory that we've witnessed. And it makes me wonder what the next few decades will uh, unfold. I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy, right? There are so many technological advances in science and technology that have already laid the foundation for a completely different world. And as a former practicing physician i can't help but be excited about some of these things like you know advances in longevity science and potentially eradicating killer diseases such as cancer and cardiovascular disease and if you think that that sounds far-fetched for the next decade 10 to 15 years let's say i actually disagree with you because here's the thing there's a ton of billionaires out there who made a, a lot of money during the dot com era but guess what they're getting older and a lot of the a lot of money is now going into these kinds of uh, longevity science things because they don't want to die right so they don't like the idea uh, of of uh, death and so they're trying to battle death with money and that's how, what you do with research now so the question is especially when it comes to something like longevity um, science is well how quickly can you do it because you can't exactly do randomized control trials uh, and benefit from them if you're currently living, right? So um, you, you've got to try to figure out some things in different ways. And that's where I think we're going to be helped by a number of technologies and tools that we probably don't even, we're not even really aware of. And some of them we are. Uh, one of those tools that I think will play a major role in revolutionizing pretty much everything, healthcare, et cetera, is artificial intelligence um, or AI as the as the cool kids say. Now AI sounds scary. I know Elon Musk and all the uh, and uh, Bill Gates and all that are warning about you know the the world as a where the computers take over and that stuff. But um, in the meantime, before the computers take over, I think it's going to be a cool ride. Uh, think of the app Waze, for example. We're already using some uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, in these little apps and things like Waze. I'm going to use Waze this, this afternoon to get to Los Angeles. And it calculates 
in real time what the fastest route is depending on traffic patterns, etc. I mean, that's all artificial intelligence, right? Anyway, I think you're going to see a ton of these kinds of new technologies um, in several fields, and they're just going to creep into your life, just like Waze kind of creeped into your life. You don't really think about it as an artificial intelligence tool, but it is. Anyway, this is an exciting science. It's something that I think we ought to be learning about. Uh, as investors, you know, I think it's really important to understand what's happening in the world and, you know, for a por portion of your portfolio, consider, you know, some of the technology companies that may be involved with artificial intelligence or, or other things that you think might be the next big thing. Anyway, to explain this, uh, because I am certainly no uh, expert on uh, artificial intelligence, we have an expert on artificial intelligence who we will talk to and learn all about it after these messages. Worried about saving too little too late for retirement? The Wealth Accelerator may be exactly what you need. With the help of some of the oldest and most reliable insurance companies in the country, Wealth Accelerator allows you to take most of the upside of any good year in the stock market and use bank loans to magnify those returns significantly. And what if the stock market has a bad year? No need to fear. Wealth Accelerator is engineered so you don't participate in the losses of the market, no matter how bad of a year it is. Sounds too good to be true, right? But it's not. It's simply the same financial engineering that the ultra-wealthy have been doing for years. Now it's your turn. Check it out for yourself by going to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast is Avi Goldfarb. He's the Rotman Chair in Artificial Intelligence and Healthcare uh, and a professor of marketing at the Rotman School of Management at the University of Toronto. Uh, he's also chief data scientist at uh, Creative Destruction Lab and CDL Rapid Screening Consortium, which is a, a faculty affiliate uh, at the uh, Vector Institute and the Schwartz-Reisman Institute for Technology Society. Uh, and he's also a research associate at uh, National Bureau of Economic Research. Um, Beyond that, Avi is also the author of multiple books, uh, including uh, the most recent one, Power and Prediction, Disruptive Economics of Artificial Intelligence. Avi, welcome to Wealth Formula Podcast. Okay, thank you. Great to be here. You have a thing or two, uh, th thing or two that tells us you, you know about a thing or two, I guess, as they say. Let me start with this question because I think for, you know, people who are busy professionals, um, middle-aged technology just seems to be like hitting up, hitting them over the head right constantly uh and we keep hearing about new things and i would put 
AI in this category where it's something that it's a buzzword. We hear it all the time, but I'm not sure that anybody that most people really understand what it is. Can you start by explaining in your uh, own words what artificial intelligence actually is? Absolutely. So when you hear people talk about artificial intelligence today, um, you know, when the hype in the press makes you think these are the machines that we see in science fiction, machines that can do just about everything we humans can do. Uh, maybe they listen to us or maybe they don't. And that's where we get scary science fiction. Uh, that kind of artificial general intelligence is possible, but it has almost nothing to do with what we're talking about when we're talking about AI in business today. When we're talking about AI today, we're talking about a very particular branch of computer science. In fact, a branch of computational statistics called machine learning that's gotten better. And so when you hear AI, think prediction technology in the statistical right. sense. Take information you have to fill in information you don't have. Um, it's a little less exciting to talk about computational stats instead of AI, uh, but it can still be transformative. Right, right. Absolutely. So can you give us some examples of how AI is currently used so that we can kind of put that uh, definition into context? Sure. There's lots of places where you know prediction affects uh, your daily lives. So if you want to get from point A to point B, uh, in the old days, you'd open up a map, it would have been paper, and you would have figured out how to get uh, how to get from point A to point B. Now you'll open up an app, Google Maps or something else, and it will provide you with a prediction of the fastest route to get from point A to point B. Uh, that prediction will be largely informed by artificial intelligence uh, by a sense of where the traffic's going to be and how long it's going to take. Uh, another example is um, uh, the recommendation engines that you see from Spotify or from Amazon, where um, they recommend to you what they think you're going to buy next time. So Amazon, think about it. Amazon has hundreds of millions of different products in their catalog. And for their recommendations, they tend to be right about 5% of the time, maybe more. Uh, that's an incredibly great prediction about what you're likely to want at that moment. Um. So, yeah, that that's I mean, it's it's fascinating stuff. And I'm, um, you know, I'm kind of going off a little bit of a non economics tangent here. But I'm, I'm curious on um, I think I think I read in your bio somewhere that you were involved with some healthcare. But when you look at AI um, as a physician, that's very interesting to me, right? Like, because the applications, um, specifically when it comes to, let's say, um, pharmaceuticals, vaccinations, that kind of thing. Uh, is that, you know, it, it, how far along are we with that? And um, maybe describe like how those things work a little bit. Sure. So the biggest opportunity for AI in health is around diagnosis. So what does your doctor do when they diagnose you? They take in data, information about your symptoms, and they fill in the missing information of the cause of those symptoms. That's prediction. And we're increasingly realize, realizing the machines that AI can do that as well or better than many human doctors, if not most. Um, in terms of the reality on the ground, those diagnosis predictions, those diagnosis AIs have had very, very little impact. Where AIs had an impact in healthcare are uh, on the research side. So if you're trying to figure out what drug to produce, if you're a pharmaceutical company, you might be using AI to help you search the literature you might be using AI to help you predict uh, which, which molecules are going to bind with which proteins uh, to identify potential drug candidates. 
Uh, you might be using, instead of good old-fashioned stats to do your stats in the background, you'll be using AI. So this is on the research side. And then a little bit we've seen it on the operations side. So the, for example, the hype in radiology has been about, well, radiologists look at images. Right. And AI is really good at looking at images. And so you'd think that AI would start replacing radiologists. Hasn't really happened yet. But AI has transferred the workflow of radiology. So a radiologist uh, 10 years ago would talk into a microphone as part of their workflow. And then that uh, recording would be sent to some humans who would listen to it, write it down, transcribe it, and then send it back to the radiologist within 24 hours. Uh, very few radiologists do that now. Now we have AIs doing the transcription for them. So it's not, it's not what you think about in terms of AI in medicine, but it actually has changed the workflow in a meaningful way. Yeah. I mean, I have an interest in uh, longevity science, and it seems like there's a, you know, a lot of talk about using AI um, you know, for measuring biological age and that kind of thing. Um, is that, I don't know how much you know about that, but I'm curious how far along that kind of stuff is. Um, it all remains in the lab. So it's, there's lots of smart people thinking about it. Um, like lots of other AI in healthcare, but, uh, my knowledge clinical application has been pretty limited. Um, let's shift to the economy a little bit. I know your book is about the disruptive economics of AI and what makes it so disruptive? That it can allow you to do things differently. It allow you to serve your customers in a way that they've never been able to serve them that way before. And so uh, once that can happen, you can transform industries. So, you know, I talked about the, uh, you know, maps, the predictions about how to get from point A to point B. Uh, the original applications of that in business were what we call point solutions, which is that, uh, you know, they looked at professional drivers who are already professional drivers, truck drivers, and especially cab drivers, and said they can do their jobs a little bit better if they have these real-time predictions about where traffic is, okay? And that happened, and some of those uh, had, you know, an impact on the taxi industry and other aspects of the professional driving industry. Uh, but then a, couple, a handful of people realized, well, once you have good predictions about how to get from point A to point B, the expertise that many professional drivers had about how to get around a city or a country was no longer an advantage. Mm -hmm. For example, in the city of London, it used to be a three-year uh, process of learning to become a cab driver, oh, wow. to learn the streets of the city. And what, um, what uh, navigational AIs what these predictive maps do is they mean that just about anybody can be the quality of a professional driver. And that led to the rise of Uber and Lyft in a totally new model of transportation that was incredibly disruptive to the old uh, industries with professional drivers. Um, I'm curious about some, maybe some other applications. Um, you know, how about in, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm visual. I can almost see like a hedge fund looking at this, you know, and uh, looking at figuring out how to make money. Um, is that is that something that's also a thing right now or could be? Or um, So there's, yeah, for sure. So there's a, a couple in, you know, in professional investing, there's, there's two parts to it. There's one, which is, can you identify an angle uh, that you can use prediction technology in a way that nobody else can? So if you're, you know, the first people who realized they could take satellite data and uh, use it to predict how many cars were in the parking lot 
of uh, the biggest retailers in the country to get a sense of what sales were going to be before anybody else did, they had a leg up and they made money. The challenge in that kind of use of AI for uh, professional investing is that um, once two deep-pocketed people figure out the same method, they'll sort of bid each other out. And so you have to be the first uh, to do something and do it in a unique way. And then the retail investor is the one who loses out. And then the retail investor is really the one who loses out. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, The other way to think about it, though, is uh, to think through which industries is AI going to affect and when? And how do we think through the big risks, the big opportunities, and the little wins? Um, Yeah, talk about that a little bit. Um, You know, because which... As you mentioned, truck driving, obviously, you know, that 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 certainly having better routes and that kind of thing. But some of the other applications, um, obviously, it, it's going to be transformative for some businesses. Some maybe it'll just make them a little bit more efficient. But what do you, what are the big uh, opportunities that are out there right now? So the big opportunities are thinking about industries where there where much of the structure of the industry is about failing to serve their customers well, okay? And um, I'll give you an example of, of an industry where they where much of what they do is about failing to serve their customers well, and then you, know, you can sort of speculate on what others might be. So uh, if you go to the airports, rated the best airport in the world, Seoul, Incheon, Singapore, et cetera, they're pretty spectacular. Uh, and the architects spent, you know, managed to spend billions and billions of dollars, sometimes private money, sometimes taxpayer money, on these places that they say are great places to hang out. So Seoul, for example, it has a theater, it has great restaurants, great shopping. Seems like a spectacular place. But then if you look at how the super rich fly, they fly through sheds. The super rich, the private uh, jet terminals uh, are empty. There's no restaurants, there's no shopping, there's no massage massage or theater. Why? Because no one wants to spend time at the airport. (laughs) That architecture all exists really because those airports are failing in their mission. Their mission is to ensure smooth air transportation. Uh, When we see what the super rich do, we can see, well, that's what it means to ensure smooth air transportation. You don't spend any time in there. Yeah. No layovers in a private jet. (laughs) Yeah. And no, you know, you know how long it's going to take to get to the airport through security and fly where you want to go. Lots of industries have all this architecture, physical or virtual a lot of what people do aren't about delivering good service to your customer. They're about the places where you fail to deliver good service and you try to make up for it. And so the, you know, an investment strategy or a more general strategy to think through who's at risk of disruption is to identify those industries where a lot of what you do is based on uh, not actually serving your customers, but making up for the fact that you don't serve your customers well. And I would argue healthcare is a big part of that. I would argue um, insurance is a big part of that. Um, to some degree, financial services, at least retail banking, and some others. Um, to what degree uh, is the the fear that some people have about AI taking people's jobs and you know rendering employees in certain fields useless? Uh, how serious should we take that? Those kinds of um, uh, concerns? Um, they are serious concerns, um, but there's also reasons for optimism. Okay. And what do I mean? So 
let's go with the let's keep the the taxi driver example, and then I think it's a much broader point, which is uh, when Uber came along with their navigational AI, those people who'd spent three years in school learning their way around the city of London, their income suddenly went down. So AI had the effect of taking some people who invested in skills and making those skills. It's not that those skills were irrelevant, but it's that anybody could have those skills. So, uh, so the people who uh, you know got uh, you know some advantage, relative you know, higher wages than they might otherwise have, uh, suddenly were competing with millions of other people. So the negative version of it, which you know you should think about, is those taxi drivers no longer had the income they had before. The positive version of it is it upskilled millions of people to be able to drive professionally. And I think on almost all of these disruptive technologies, we're going to see both sides. We're going to see there's a handful of people who made their living doing that because they were better at it than anybody else. Uh, and then there's going to be lots of people who are upskilled. So I don't know if, if you saw in the last, on November 30th, OpenAI released this uh, new tool called ChatGPT. And ChatGPT is it, you know, the high level, it's a chatbot, but it's incredible. If you ask it to write a five paragraph essay comparing, I don't know, Shakespeare to Michael Porter, it will. What is it called? ChatGPT. Okay. That's great. Maybe uh, you can do some of my podcasts. <laughs> it, uh, it is incredible at writing lucid text. Is that right? Really good. To the point where us professors, we have a real worry Yeah, uh, that we can't do take-home exams anymore. They're just gone. There is, there's actually, I think, uh, just, just as a slight diversion here, I, yeah. I had heard about some applications that were using, uh, using AI for marketing. And they're really tapping into like dopaminergic pathways yeah. and what gets things going. Is that right? <laughs> Um, yeah, well, that's a, maybe it's just a marketing thing like, uh, about marketing, whether, whether it's really AI or just, you know, generally. So I would argue, um, there was a clever marketer who realized that, uh, you know, if we measure very carefully what people click on and how, you know, uh, what makes people engage with the platform, uh, then we can, um, figure out which kinds of activities lead to more engagement, whether it's, you know, whether it's something deeply psychological or more superficial, I don't know, but we can, we can use, we can teach the AI uh, or at least tell the AI what to optimize in a way that you know, helps the company and may or may not help the customer, I guess is that. How do you think, there. what are some of the things in daily life that you see? Like, you know, when people talk about AI, they really, and, and, maybe you can comment on this too, but people talk about it as if it, it really is tra as transformative as the internet um, for the world we're going to be living in. First of all, is that true? And if so, on a day-to-day -day basis, what are we going, what kinds of things are we going to see? Okay. So um, I believe it is true that AI is transformative, like uh, the big technology of the past, computing, the internet, the steam engine, et cetera. Okay, you know, the suite of technologies around data science with AI at the center. Um, that said, that history tells us that it's going to take more time than we think. Right, we're like in dot-com era right now. Is that, um, maybe not, not even, even. Not even. 
not even. So uh, you know, with electricity, the light bulb was 1880. So it was clear in 1880 that electricity was going to change the way we lived and work. But it wasn't until the 1920s that half of households and half of factories were electrified in the U.S. Sure. Um, with computing, it was clear in the 1950s that this was going to be a transformative technology. And it wasn't until the 1990s that it showed up in the data. Um, these, these changes take a lot of time. And so I expect the impact of AI uh, to be extraordinary. Um, but the, that doesn't mean that we're going to feel it in most industries tomorrow. Yeah. Although probably faster than some of these other things by the very nature of the computers that are involved and how they get faster and chips get smaller and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, yeah. There's, there's, there's reasons to be, there's reasons to be optimistic. It'll happen faster. The only reason to be pessimistic that it'll happen faster is um, that, you know, to your point about jobs um, there, you know, as with any technology, there can be people who benefit and people who get hurt. And in the context of AI, I think a lot of the people who get hurt are the people who are currently uh, empowered. And so think about medicine. If AI is doing diagnosis, um, maybe the doctors won't like it so much. No, doctors get to proofread it. That's what they'll do on radiology. <laughs> They're just replacing the residents. <laughs> so, well, then maybe it's fine. Uh, or then maybe it'll happen. At least. Yeah. But, uh, but if, you know, there's reasons to worry in a lot of industries that the people who currently benefit from the system right. as it stands won't want a new system. Right. Um, you know, the last thing I would sort of finish up with, uh, and maybe you can address this, is, you know, there's been some real um, fear mongering among some pretty big names in technology, you know, Elon Musk, Gates, Bezos, they're all warning about, you know, what AI could do and that, you know, the coming of the AI apocalypse. Uh, what, tell, tell, us, tell us what your take on this is. Um, so that is not the technology we're talking about today. So that's an artificial general intelligence. That has been 20 to 50 years away since the 1960s and 20 to 50 years away from terrifying since the 1960s. And if you talk to experts today... <laughs> it's still 20 to 50 years away. That doesn't mean never. And I'm very happy there's smart political scientists and philosophers thinking about it and trying to understand what those consequences are. But in terms of the investment in business applications today, that's not what yeah. we're talking about prediction technology. It is a long way away from a machine uh, that's about to take over. Like singularity or something yeah. like that, right? We're not there yet. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, so the book again is power and prediction, the disruptive F uh, disruptive economics of artificial intelligence. Um, what, what, if anything, have we, you know, major points in this book, have we not kind of addressed? So the, there's one thing we haven't talked about. Um, so we've talked about, uh, you know, big system level change. We've talked about resistance to that change. Um, the one piece we haven't talked about is that, uh, there is no such thing as a machine decision. Okay, so as long as we're in a world of prediction machines, as long as we're in a world of where AI is prediction technology, the AI provides the prediction, but a human ultimately makes the decision. Okay. And so uh, when you read, oh, you know, jobs at risk by you know, AI decision-making or an AI decided to fire that person 
or uh, an AI decided, uh, you know, in the military context to um, to fire. That that's not what's happening. Okay. And I think this distinction is important. What's happening is uh, the human who used to make those decisions on the ground at the moment of the action is no longer making the decision, and instead, someone else, typically more centralized, say at headquarters, is making the decisions for everybody else. So, in you know, in terms of an AI that's uh, for hiring, so instead of having individual HR managers deciding who to hire, instead we are having someone at headquarters decided, here's what success looks like in our organization. We're going to predict that and decide if you get over you know eighty percent chance of success, we'll hire you. So. Uh, this, you know, the idea that uh, machines don't decide is fundamental to allocating responsibility and identifying opportunity. Right. And very interesting stuff. Again, the book Power and Prediction, The Disruptive Economics of Artificial Intelligence, Avi Goldfarb. Avi, I assume the book is available anywhere, Amazon, the usual routes. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, where wherever you want to get it, airport bookstores, it's all around. Wonderful. Well, great having you on the show. Um, and, uh, and I look forward to reading the book. Okay. Thank you very much. Take care. Be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, you know, uh, one thing I should point out is with the new here, here again, if you made some, um, resolutions and things like that about investing and stuff, Sometimes it's helpful to have a group of people around you of like mind to, um, you know, to share that journey with. And that's where Wealth Formula Network comes in. Now, this was a actually almost like an accidental group, right? Because there was this course called Your Roadmap to Real Wealth, which still exists. People would sign up for that. I went through this course. It was really, um, and it's, it is a good course. I mean, for a lot of the basic fundamental stuff that we talk about in personal finance, um, smart people in there, Kenny McElroy, Tom Wheelwright, et cetera. Um, but what ended up happening is people go to that thing and go through the thing. And then um, what we did was we started this thing called Wealth Formula Network, which was basically a community uh, where we have a Facebook group. But more importantly, every other week we do a Zoom, uh, Zoom video call. So uh, this has been a very powerful um I think forum for a number of people and I've seen it with my own eyes, significant levels of, uh, you know, of development in people's uh, knowledge in this area. And it's certainly not just because of me, because I learn a lot from this group as well. Anyway, uh, that's uh, something to consider joining. That is a uh, wealth formula network, but the way you sign up for it is by signing up for the course and you can go to, wealthformularoadmap.com to check that out. That's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Jaffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Sapio with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. 
I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.